Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are three weeks into sermon series on Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, we've titled this uh, series, Christ at the Center. And we uh, created this logo for it intentionally uh, having a kind of um, galactic feel, you know, a kind of uh, universe feel to it, uh, because that's what the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, describes. They describe Jesus as the cosmic Christ. He is the one uh, by whom, for whom, through whom everything has been made, the entire universe, that he is not just Lord uh, of uh, your life, he's not just Lord of the earth, he is the Lord of everything. Uh, Christ is at the center of all reality, and life is found when you not when you put him at the center, he's already there, but when you recognize that he's at the center and shape uh, your life around him. So that's what we're doing. Uh, and we're gonna read this morning from Colossians chapter one, starting at verse 24. So you can uh, find that in your Bible or follow along on the screens. Uh, if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'll read for us. God has you here for a reason this morning. He chose what passage of scripture he would want you to hear preached on. This is his word for you. Colossians chapter one, starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. You may be seated, please. So, 
I am a, a child of the uh, 80s and 90s, and I remember watching a TV show with my family on a regular basis, and uh, I'm uh, wondering if you can guess what show this is. I want to play for you just the first 30 seconds of the theme song to this television show from the 80s and 90s and see if you can guess it. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Give anybody nostalgia? Anybody know what show that was? Anybody? Not Knight Rider. The show was Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. The show hosted by Robert Stack that documented cold cases and paranormal activity. It featured reenactments of unsolved crimes, missing persons, conspiracy theories, even alien abductions. At the beginning of every episode, they would always give the disclaimer, what you are about to see is not a news broadcast, right? Uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm married to somebody who loves mystery shows. My wife loves uh, 2020 and Dateline, but something that she doesn't love is when the mystery remains unsolved, right? Because, you know, that killer could still be out there, like, like in our backyard. Uh, shut the blinds, right? Um, and uh, she wants resolution. She wants the mystery revealed. And I think that's because deep down inside of all of us, we desire the same thing. We want the mystery revealed. Um, The Christians in Colossae, they lived in an environment of religious pluralism and syncretism. They were being told by false teachers that there was more to the faith than the simple message of Jesus that they had been told originally. That is, in order to be real Christians, in order to progress in your spiritual life, uh, you need some secret knowledge. You need some special experience. You need access to some unsolved mystery that you need to figure out. If you can just do that, then everything would be good. Well, it's into this situation that the Apostle Paul writes and says to the Colossian church, there is indeed a mystery, but it's not the kind of mystery that these false teachers are talking about. The way Paul understood and used the word mystery was actually far different because he was Jewish and his context was the Bible. These false teachers taught that their mystery was something that had to be figured out. Paul said, the true mystery has to be revealed. They said that their mystery was only for um, an elite group of people. Paul said, the true mystery is for everyone. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you feel stuck in your life Maybe you've um, 
wondered, uh, is, there, is there some secret that I'm missing? Like sometimes I look around at other people and I think they've got things together. What am I missing? Um, or maybe you thought you would be more mature by this point in your spiritual journey. Maybe I just haven't read the right book or implemented the right discipline or said the right prayers. Well, my goal as a preacher this morning is that I don't want anyone to walk out of here with an unsolved mystery. And neither does God. And that's why he wrote this letter to the Colossians. So take the sermon outline. It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. And I want to answer three questions about the mystery. What is it? Who gets it? And what difference does it make? Okay? What is it? Who gets it? And what difference does it make? First, the mystery. What is it? Paul actually uses 21 times, 21 times in his letters, that uses the phrase, the mystery. What is the mystery? Look again at what he says, starting in verse um, 25. He says, uh, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. In other words, I'm not a minister because I asked for it. God made me a minister. He called me and he gave me a job to do. I'm his steward. There's something that I have to, uh, to do. What is that? He says, to make the word of God fully known. That's his job. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery. Okay, so the mystery has something to do with the word of God. Uh, in fact, in the original Greek syntax, the word of God, logon uh, tutheu, um, and the mystery, talmusterion, in the original, they come one after, the, one after each other. So when you read it in the Greek, it reads, the word of God, the mystery. So this mystery has something to do with the word of God, and it was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So this, this mystery, which has to do with the word of God, was hidden for a long time, but now it has been revealed. And who has it been revealed to? His saints. Who are the saints? That's you. You're a saint. A saint is not just a super spiritual juggernaut. juggernaut a saint. You're a saint if you're in Christ. That was sermon two weeks ago. But this secret, this mystery has been revealed to God's people. Um, and it says, he says, to them, to his people, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Come on, Paul, tell me, what is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is the mystery? Well, the mystery is, we can say a couple different ways, the mystery is the gospel. The mystery is the good news of God's redemptive plan of salvation. I don't know about um, how you viewed the Bible growing up. It's, it's uh, common, I think, for people to, to view the Bible as a collection of moral tales, um, of moral lessons, like a guidebook for living as a decent human being. And the Bible certainly has morals, and it certainly has 
um, tells you what human flourishing looks like. But first and foremost, the Bible is not that. The Bible is a story. The Bible is a story. It's the story of what God has done, is doing, and will do. God made the world. He made us. We sinned against him. We broke the world. We broke our relationship with God. But God, out of his sheer grace, initiated a plan to redeem us and to save us and to one day renew all of creation. That's the story. The Bible is telling one story of what God is doing. The Old Testament is really just the first half of that story. Um, God promised Eve that one of her offspring would bruise the heel of the serpent. He promised Abraham that he would give him a people and a land and that they would bless the whole world. He delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and, uh, and, and brought them uh, to Mount Sinai. He established them as a nation and gave them laws for their good. He, he gave them the promised land. He told David that one of his heirs would one day rule on uh, his throne forever as a universal king. He gave them a temple where they worshiped him. God was always with them and for them even when, they ha- uh, when he sent them into exile. See, the Jews, reading the Old Testament, the Jews expected a Messiah. They expected a Savior. They had this expectation. It wasn't completely hidden in that sense. But what they didn't expect was the Savior that God sent. It's all there. Um, The Old Testament, it's full of prophecies and foreshadows and longings and expectations, but only in hindsight can we now see it. Only once God revealed the mystery to us did it make sense. The mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. Paul, like I said, mentions this idea of the mystery a lot in his writings. Here's one example. Look at um, from uh, the end of his letter to the Romans. He says, now to him who's able to strengthen you, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In Colossians um, 2, verse 2, Paul simply says, you could say it this way, in shorthand, the mystery is Christ. The mystery is Christ. It is God's salvation. But in longer, uh, fuller form, the mystery, Paul says, what Christ has done to fulfill the Holy Trinity's plan of redemption, it is this, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you means Jesus has united himself to you, right? that you are in him and he is in you, that everything that is true of him is now true of you. God dwells in you. The, the Jews, they had a temple, and they would go to the temple to worship God and offer sacrifices, and then they, when they were done, they would leave. But now the New Testament says, You are a temple. Your body is a temple in which God dwells. He is in you, Christ in you, the nature of God fused with you from the moment you believe, not just with you, beside you, around you, but in you, 
loving you, guiding you, shaping you, protecting you, preparing you for, he says, the hope of glory. The hope of glory, that word hope in the Bible is different from the way we usually use the word hope in, in our culture. When we say hope, we, we have a, a little bit of a, a sense of doubt when we use it, right? Like, like I hope, right? I hope the lightning will win, right? I, I hope that it won't rain. Um, but when the Bible uses the word hope, uh, it is expressing a certainty. I have a hope. I have a future, right? I have... I have hope, it is sure, because Christ is in me. He will never leave me, and I will be with him for all of eternity, experiencing his splendor and majesty, fully alive, unfiltered goodness, holiness, brilliance, everything I was created to know and enjoy. I mean, is there anything else that could possibly compare? This is the mystery, right? This is the mystery that was hidden for ages, uh, and uh, generations, but now revealed. Paul says it has been revealed to us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and here's the thing. Um, God revealed it in the past, in history, right, at a specific time, in, in the person, historical person of Jesus Christ, right? God revealed his mystery to us. He revealed it to the apostles in the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament, um, but it also is revealed all the time for, for the now 2,000 years. Every time someone believes, the mystery is revealed. Uh, so Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this in a sermon about this passage. He said, it remained a mystery which wit could not guess nor invention unravel. And it must forever have continued a secret had not God in his infinite mercy been pleased to reveal it by the Holy Ghost. In a still deeper sense, it is even yet a hidden thing unless the Spirit of God has revealed it to us individually. For the revelation of the gospel and the word of God does not of itself instruct men unto eternal life. The light is clear enough, but it availeth nothing till the eyes are opened. Each separate individual must have Christ revealed to him and in him by the work of the Holy Ghost, or else he will remain in darkness even in the midst of gospel day. Blessed and happy are they to whom the Lord has laid open the divine secret which prophets and kings could not discover, which even angels desired to look into. Brethren, we live in a time when the gospel is clearly revealed in the word of God, and when that word has its faithful preachers lovingly to press home its teachings, let us take care that we do not despise the mystery which has now become a household word. Has the Holy Spirit revealed the mystery to you? Has he opened your eyes to see it? The mystery Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what it is. And the second question is, though, who gets it? Who gets the mystery? Like, who is eligible for this mystery? Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. And yet, Colossians, the church in Colossians, is made, prim made up primarily of Gentiles. Look again at what Paul said in verse 27. He said, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, 
among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that this mystery is for you too, Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews, it's for you too. Um, in fact, in the, in the Bible, when, uh, most of the time when the Bible uses uh, the word you, in the Greek, that it's actually plural you, not singular you. So it's, it's, uh, it's not just Christ in you, it's Christ in y'all, right? <laughs> Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. Um, Gentiles, Jews, in you, together. That was radical for the early church, that Jews and Gentiles would be equal, equal recipients of the glory uh, of this mystery, the equal recipients of Christ. Look at, look at how Paul says in Ephesians 3. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, in the Jewish worldview, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews, and there were everybody else, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. Um, Paul says in verse 28, him we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's not saying that everyone is ultimately saved. What is he saying? He's saying everyone can get the mystery. The mystery is for everyone. That the gospel is the most inclusive truth in the world. It is the most inclusive truth in the whole world. Um, anyone and everyone can have Christ in them, the hope of glory. No one is exempt based on race, ethnicity, gender, language, wealth, where you live, how you dress, past sins, present sins, IQ, EQ, SQ, or any other Q, right? Even, even NASCAR fans. I know, I know. Right, everyone can get the mystery. The gospel is the most inclusive truth in the world. But the gospel is also the most exclusive truth in the whole world. It is the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world because anyone, it is for anyone and everyone, but it is only for those who have put their faith in Jesus, right? It is only for those who are united to him by faith. He is the only way to God. Only those in whom Christ dwells get the hope of glory. Don't you hate it when you're uh, at an amusement park and it's, it's, like, it's like 95, feels like 110, and you're standing in line with your kids for this ride. Uh, you've been standing there for like an hour. You've been waiting for an hour to um, you know, punish yourself uh, and torture yourself for 30 seconds so that you'll have a headache for the rest of the day. And, and they're asking, how much longer? And, and, and just then, somebody just strolls right on by you with a fast pass, right? <laughs> all the way by, all the way to the front of the line, and your kids look at you and they say, if you were a real father, 
you would have taken out a second mortgage and bought us fast passes, right? <laughs> Our lives would have been better. Uh, you see, uh, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Jews and Gentiles, there is no regular line and fast pass line to heaven. There's just one for everyone, the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's free for anyone who wants it. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? If you want it this morning, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus, right? Yes, Jesus, I believe. Come into me and give me the hope of glory. And what if you did that? What if you were to do that? Or what if you've already done that, as many of you have? Right? You've already done that. What difference would it make? What difference would it make in your life now, today, if you believed that you had the mystery, that Christ was in you, the hope of glory? Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Paul, we know, got the mystery, right? He understood this, he believed this, and he actually gives himself as an example of what difference it makes right here in the passage. Um, for one, Christ in you, the hope of glory, gives you the ability to rejoice in suffering. It gives you the ability to rejoice in suffering. Look again at what Paul says in verse 24. He says simply, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. If Christ lives in you, then that means some things. It means, one, you never go through any suffering alone. You never go through any suffering alone. Do you remember in the Old Testament, um, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are uh, forced to, um, with, with all the rest of the Israelites in the book of Daniel, they're forced to worship Nebuchadnezzar, deny their faith and, uh, and worship a false god and they refuse. They refuse to bow. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into a fiery furnace, right? This blazing, huge oven. It's so hot that when the guards who are um, escorting them to throw them into the oven, when the doors open, the the heat bursts out and consumes the guards and these three Jewish men fall into the fire and, uh, and then the king gets up and looks in there and he says, didn't, didn't we throw three guys in there? Why do I see four? I see four guys walking around in the fire and one of them looks like a son of the gods. Who was it that was walking in the fire with those men. It was Jesus. It was a, what we call a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. It was Jesus walking with them through their suffering. If Christ is in you, no matter what you go through, you are never alone, right? Suffering it also means if Christ lives in you, then suffering for the Christian is never a punishment. 
Did you know that? That if you are in Christ and you experience suffering, it is never a punishment. Why? Because God punished all of your sins on Jesus on the cross. All of them. And so there's no punishment left for you. Jesus rose from the dead and now lives in you and God will not punish his son again. Which means that when you go through suffering, God is never punishing you. There's no more punishment left. He may be disciplining, lovingly disciplining you as a father, but never punishing. And if Christ is in you, and then you have the hope of glory. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this suffering, which he calls this light momentary affliction, suffering doesn't always feel light and momentary, does it? But Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is the hope of glory the, the eternal glory that is to come puts our sufferings that we experience now in perspective. So for these reasons and, and others that we don't have time to go into, Paul is able to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. Not just I, um, I get through it, I grin and bear it. I, I, I rejoice in my sufferings because I believe that God has a, a plan for these things. He said to the Colossians that actually that his sufferings were for their sake, for their benefit. I mean, who says that? Who says, I rejoice in what's happening to me because I know it's going to be good for someone else? The only person who can say that is someone who has Christ in them, the hope of glory. What difference does the mystery make? You can rejoice in suffering and you also have power to pray. You have power to pray. Paul writes, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul says he toils, he struggles for these Christians that he's never met. And most commentators believe that he is uh, primarily talking about the toiling and struggling of intercessory prayer. Paul toils, he struggles to pray for these believers, to bring them before the throne of God in heaven. And how is he able to do that? He says, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, Christ in you, is another way of saying, because of the um, relationship of the Trinity, that the Spirit of God is in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Christ is in you. The Spirit is in you. And Paul says in Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You have power in you to pray. Power in you to pray when you don't feel like it, when you don't believe it. The Spirit lives inside of you, and so I just exhort you this morning from God's word to keep toiling, keep struggling in your prayers, right? Struggling in your prayers for your children, for your grandchildren, for your friends, for your coworkers, for this church. Power to pray because Christ is in you. And then third, what difference does having Christ in you, the hope of glory make? It means you have security. You have security, you're secure. Paul's prayer for the Colossians uh, was this. He said that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? Encouragement, full assurance, Understanding all of this is yours in Christ who is in you. All of this is in you, is in Christ, Paul says, because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are contained everything that we need in this life. You think there are so many other plausible arguments for how to make sense of the world, how to make sense of your life, right? how to uh, find fulfillment and meaning and purpose and happiness, but none of them are the real thing. They're like all, you know, AI-generated deep fakes. The real thing is Jesus. The real thing is Jesus. He is, um, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you have Jesus, you have access to everything you could ever need in this life. You are utterly secure. It's the mystery, right? It's the mystery. God, God, has he revealed the mystery to you this morning? What a, what a tragedy it would be to walk out and still feel like the mystery is unsolved. God's mystery, his eternal plan of redemption, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Author and uh, speaker John Lynch calls it um, the New Testament gamble. I read this uh, and I wanted to share it with you because it's so good. The New Testament gamble, the mystery, right? It says, what if I tell them who they are? What if I take away any element of fear and condemnation or judgment or rejection? What if I tell them that I love them and that I will always love them and that I can't love them any more than I love them right now and that I love them right now no matter what they've done as much as I love my only son? That there's nothing they can do to make my love go away. What if I told them there are no lists? What if I told them that they were righteous with my righteousness right now? What if I told them that they could stop beating themselves up? That they can stop being so formal and stiff and weird and jumpy around me? What if I told them that I was absolutely crazy about them? What if I told them that even if they ran to the ends of the earth and did the most unthinkable, horrible things and were unfaithful in their marriage, when they came back, I'd receive them with tears and a party? 
What if I told them I don't keep a log of past offenses, of how little they pray or how often they let me down or promises that they don't keep? What if I told them that they don't have to be owned by men's religious additions or traditions? What if I told them that if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what? It's a done deal. What if I told them that they have a new nature, saints, not saved sinners who should now buck up and be better if they were any kind of Christians after all I've done for you? What if I told them that I actually live in them now, that I've put my love and power and nature inside of them at their disposal? What if I told them that they don't have to put on a mask at any time, that it is absolutely okay to be exactly who they are at this moment with all their junk and not have to pretend about how close we are, how much they pray or don't, how much Bible they read or don't? And what if they knew that they don't have to look over their shoulder for fear that if things get too good, the other shoe's gonna drop? What if they knew that I will never, ever, ever, ever use the word punish in relation to them? What if they knew that when they mess up, I'd never get back at them? What if they were convinced that bad circumstances are never my way of evening the score for taking advantage of me? What if they knew that the basis of our friendship was not on how little they sin, but how much they let me love them? What if they had permission to stop trying to impress me in any way? What if I told them that they could hurt my heart, but I would never hurt theirs? What if I told them that I kinda like Eric Clapton's music too? <laughs> that the these and the thous have always bugged me? What if I told them that I really never liked the Christmas handbell deal with the white gloves? What if I told them that they could open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I told them that there was no secret agenda, no trap door? What if I told them it wasn't about their self-effort, but about allowing me to live my life through them? What if I told them the mystery? Would they believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and hearts to believe the mystery this morning. For the first time or for the hundredth time, to deeply, truly believe that we are united to you, that you, Christ, live in us and we have the hope of glory. And because of that, we can, we can do crazy things like rejoice in our suffering we can persevere in the power of prayer through your working in us, that we can live life with utter security. God, I pray that would be true of every person in this room this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.